are, we have spent the first 11 chapters of our study uh, going through a ton of material and a lot of doctrine. And tonight we are going to wrap up basically the heavy doctrinal portion of uh, Romans and get ready to shift gears into uh, the practical side of Romans, which begins in chapter 12. And uh, so tonight, this is a review of lesson 10. We're covering Romans all of chapter 11. And uh, a couple of questions and things that we'll go over tonight that you'll get answers to, I hope, um, is why good theology is necessary for good worship. And um, also, I would like to talk to you a little bit about cancel culture and how that relates to chapter 11 in Romans, as well as racism. And a few other interesting things we'll get some answers to. I will try to save some time at the end for question and answer as usual. And if I uh, don't save the time, I'll just keep you here anyway, because just lock the door so you guys can ask those, ask those questions. So, all right, there's a page in your notes as you, uh, in your packet for taking notes. And so feel free to open that up and do that. 297, 297 if you're taking notes, good job. And, all right so like i said chapters 1 through 11 of romans have laid out a great foundation of doctrine and if you are feeling like it's been a lot it's because it's been a lot it's been a lot uh very practical stuff is coming and we get to put into practice all the doctrine that we've been using and most people really come to bible study looking for the practical we we walk into the room we open up our bibles and we say i need help lord you know, I, I need I need this life situation addressed. I need your wisdom. I need your guidance. Heal my heart. Um, give me understanding for my relationships and all those things that are real practical. We want that when we get into the word. And there's nothing wrong with that. But most of us tend to skip the doctrinal. And what I hope that you've understood at this point is how essential understanding the doctrine is so that we can have that practical because if we just approach the bible like dessert which is what a lot of people do then really we have a childish faith an immature faith because we're like kids who doesn't want dessert first and only maybe uh, <laughs> uh if we go for just the practical all the time and the, how to fix my heart and all those types of things that the bible does provide then really we're trying to build a house by just putting flowers out on a walkway without a foundation and no house even built and how silly would that look your house would look really cute maybe you even picked out your shiplap but you have no walls to put it on you have no foundation you have nothing built and so going through romans chapters 1 through 11 has built the foundation and so I want to say good job everybody <laughs> you're in bible study you're learning you're gaining the understanding and whether or not you have every question answered at this point is not the point you've dug in you've taken the time you're really moving through and i'm proud of you you guys have been through um some heavy stuff and we've learned a lot and i've enjoyed our engagement so i've enjoyed it a lot i hope you have as well so right now we turn to chapter 11 go ahead and open your bibles if you don't already have them and let's dig into god's word i uh, normally would have slides for you today i had a lot of health challenges this last week so certain things had to be not done and that was one of them no slides so you're just going to get look at that the whole time <laughs> so take take good notes and and uh, don't worry if i'm not changing the slides there's nothing to change so all right let's go ahead and jump in right here verse one paul opens with a question which is something that he is often doing as he gets into his word so i ask he says god has not rejected his people has he rhetorical question 
answers it himself, absolutely not. And then he reminds us of his own heritage for I too am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham from the tribe of Benjamin. God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. And so underline that word foreknew in your Bible, uh, because that is a word that comes up with a lot of question marks around it. We talked about that in the last lesson and people like to kind of anchor on that word and say, you know, does God foreknow so much that he basically plans out how we're going to do things? Well, he foreknows in the same way that you knew the night that you let your child or you yourself did it, ate the entire bag of Halloween candy that you would wake up with a stomach ache, right? You knew that. That does not make you omniscient. It just makes you wise and either been there, done that. And so this is not to diminish the omniscience of God, but the word foreknew in this context is that kind of foreknew. He knew ahead of time, picking, uh, choosing to work with Israel, that they were knuckleheads. They were gonna blow it and they did, as we've seen throughout Romans, right? So this is the foreknew. And if you want a reminder of that, go back up to chapter 10, the very last verse of chapter 10, where in verse 21, he says, but about Israel, he, God says, all day long, I held out my hands and pushed away this disobedient and stubborn people. Is that what it says? <laughs> you haven't gotten there yet. No, it doesn't say that, just to remind you. It does not say that at all. All day long, I held out my hands to this disobedient and stubborn people. God's arms are open, God's arms are wide. He wants his people. And so he foreknew them. Continuing on in the rest of verse two there in chapter 11, do you not know, and Paul gives a little history lesson, a good reminder, do you not know what the scripture says about Elijah, how he pleads with God against Israel, underline against Israel, and draw a connection back up to the end of chapter 10, the very last verse there. So I if you are unfamiliar with the story, or even if you are familiar, I want to give you a little history lesson and a reminder. This is the story where Elijah uh, led the rally cry basically by himself uh, on Mount Carmel against the, the prophets of Baal, false prophets of, of the false god Baal, and uh, to show that God was the true God. Uh, uh, we're going we're gonna to even douse our altar in water and uh, our sacrifice, whoever lights up the sacrifice, their God wins. And spoiler alert, our God wins and uh, he lit it on fire and burned up the big sacrifice. Yay, God, yay, Elijah. And Elijah runs off the mountain and the bad guys are still chasing him. And he feels lost and alone and he's just over it and he's tired and why don't these people get it? And so Elijah basically wants to cancel Israel. And so we have this cancel culture based idea uh, coming up here in chapter 11 and Elijah started it all. He wasn't the first one to do it. Cain did it way before he did and really canceled someone. So um, do you not know what scripture says about Elijah, how he pleads with God against Israel? Is that ever a good idea to go to God and plead with him against his chosen people? Okay, that's another rhetorical question. The answer is no, it's never a good idea. Do not go to God and beg God to, to smite Israel. All right. So God does not lose his cool with Elijah. He uh, says, hey, just so you know, verse three, Lord, 
uh, Elijah continues on, Lord, they have killed your prophets. And again, you know, Elijah's kind of talking to God, making sure God understands what's happening in case he forgot. Lord, they killed your prophets. They demolished your altars. I alone am left and they are seeking my life. But what was the divine response to him? I have kept for myself 7,000 people who have not bent the knee to Baal. So I know stuff that you don't know. I foreknew these people. I knew this moment. And you know, you know nothing about what's going on. And if you're like me and you go to the Bible for that, that heart moment and you want to get something from the word and you want to feed your soul, I hope this is the soul feeding verse for you right now. Because a lot of us in our season in life right now are like, Lord, what is going on? Make it stop. I, I, I'm the only one left who's doing things right. My family's collapsing, my, this world, this universe, whatever, whatever your complaint is. And you're just like, I can't, this is enough, right? And hear from God and trust that the same God who spoke those words to Elijah is speaking to our hearts today and reminding us, you're not alone. I got this. It's the message he gives to Elijah and very specifically and interestingly, exactly 7,000 people, not 3,333, 7,000, the number of perfection. I got this. This is going to all be okay, right? So in the same way, now this isn't meaning it's exactly 7,000. It's not that. It's the general principle that Paul is teaching. In the same way, at the present time, there is a remnant chosen by grace. And you can see Paul at this point when he's talking to the guy who's writing his notes for him and he's just looking at this guy like, I'm the guy, I'm the remnant, like I represent the remnant. And if it is by grace, it is no longer by works, otherwise grace would no longer be grace. And Paul inserts this wonderful reminder basically of the entire first eight chapters of Romans. It's not by works, it's by grace. It's always been by grace because he's going to move in on that point as a reminder to say, this is where Israel constantly tripped up. And this is where we can constantly trip up when we make it about something that it's not. When we try to do it in our inclination of our heart, instead of having the heart of God who wants it to be about grace. And when we do it in our way, the inclination of our heart, we have the tendency to be like Elijah and want to cancel. Okay. And this is what's so fascinating to me about our world mindset right now and what we're seeing in this cancel culture going on right now. And although I do see it to some degree in, in Christian communities, because we're all human, I am seeing Christians realize we're the ones going, what is wrong with all of this? Why? Because we're the ones who've received so much grace and didn't get canceled by God and we get it. And so when we see the world heading in that direction, we're just like, where, how do they do that? And oh, I, oh, that's how they do it. There's no grace. There's no, there's no grace. You're cut off and it's done and it's over. That's what our society is built on. And honestly, that's the tendency of our own heart. When someone wrongs us, when someone hurts us, when someone from a previous group that we've been associated with is, if we feel like we're done with them, the tendency of our heart is I got no more room for this drama, cut, I'm done. And while that might be healthy in terms of the boundary issue on that principle, maybe it isn't God's will for you to cut and be done. Maybe it's God's will for you to say, 
Lord, you've extended so much grace. Do you need me to extend more grace here? And be safe, you know, with your boundaries. I get that. We'll go into that another day. Come to refresh, by the way. Um, I'll talk about that another time as well. So Paul brings us to this reminder that a tendency of our heart is to always make it about works, which ends up leading us to cancel instead of grace, which is exactly what Elijah was doing. It's what all of us do. Verse seven, what then? Israel failed to obtain what it was diligently seeking. Why? Because they made it about works, the point he had just made. But the elect obtained it. The rest were hardened. Now the elect obtained it. They didn't obtain it because there was something special about them. They did it so you know, perfectly. It's because they, they were elect, but they also made it about grace, right? The rest were hardened. Why? Because God's a mean bully. And he capriciously went out there and just hardened people's hearts for no good reason. We talked about this last time. The rest were hardened because they were hardened themselves. And God just let them go at it. The exact same way you as a parent would let a child go ahead and feel the brunt of the era of their ways, eating a whole bag of Halloween candy. Because there's only so many times you can say, that's not going to end well for you, hon. Sometimes they just need to feel it viscerally happen and to realize, oh yeah. So you basically, the rest were hardened. You let your child have a hard heart. You don't come in and rescue them out of that, right? They just get to feel all of that and they get to pay the consequences. As it is written, verse eight, God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes that would not see, ears that would not hear to this very day, right? And David says, let their table become a snare and a trap, a stumbling block and a retribution for them. Let their eyes be darkened so they may not see and make their backs bend continually. Wording here is all, all about being in slavery. All right. And this goes back to Paul's earlier teaching again about when we're in Christ, we're no longer a slave to sin. We're free. We are set free no longer a slave. So this backs bend continually is this idea of bent over. Why? Because you're, you're a slave, like you were in Egypt, you know, and, and making the bricks and, 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 and building for somebody else. You're working for the other master. Verse 11, I asked them, did they not stumble into an, irre they did not stumble into an irrevocable fall, did they? Absolutely not. But by their transgression, salvation has come to the Gentiles to make Israel jealous. See, ladies, listen, this is grace right here. <laughs> by their transgression, salvation shouldn't come to everyone else. By their transgression, you would be like Ned Ryerson in the video that I shared with you about him saying, oh, the next step's a doozy, and you stand aside and let them fail, and they step into it, and they you get mocked for that. That's our cancel culture. That's the tendency of my heart. I have that heart, okay? When I see someone transgress, my heart isn't bent toward salvation. My heart is bent toward, sucks to be you, should have listened. Sorry, but it's true, right? But what's God's heart? Grace, always grace. So by their transgression, transgression I wouldn't have written it out like salvation's gonna come. No, but God did, why? Because God's will is always not always for the inclusion of as many people as possible, not to the exclusion. So it's not like he hardened people's heart so that people wouldn't be able to go to heaven and you don't get to come. God's not like that. I hardened so I can get more people, so I can expand in. This is the heart that we should be praying for, ladies. This is who we should be, right? Now, if their transgression means riches for the world, and it does... You can write that in your margin, underline riches for the world, and it does. 
and their defeat means riches for the Gentiles. And it does. You can underline that and write that in your Bible. How much more will their full restoration be? Triple underline that. Ladies, that's the hope. That's the reason why each and any one of us should constantly be in prayer, not only for our own life, our own community, our own church, our own heart, our own family, but we should be in prayer daily for Jerusalem. We should pray for Israel. We should desire Israel to be restored. Why? Because it, it's going to bring everybody else together too. When Israel's blessed, all of us get blessed as well. That goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 12, verse 13. Now I'm speaking to you Gentiles, and that would be you and I included in that, seeing that I am apostle to the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry. He is making his ministry as big as he can so that God can be magnified, so that we get it. All right. If somehow I could provoke my people to jealousy and save some of them. And of course, this is another way that the way God does things is so different than the way we do things, because when we have jealousy, it's not good. That's a that's a sin. That's literally listed as a sin. But in God's lexicon and his jealousy, this goes back to his perfect design for marriage. And he says, I'm bringing together a man and a woman because it's going to exemplify my relationship with you i'm bringing you into a covenant relationship don't break that covenant don't do it differently do it my way i'm jealous for us to have that relationship so he pictures it always as this marriage relationship and so the word jealousy has come up throughout the bible over and over again because we're always pictured as marrying god in a sense right and uh, the marriage supper of the lamb and the bride and the bridegroom, all that imagery. And so this idea of jealousy comes in because it's a righteous jealousy, because this is how God wanted it to be. God wants us to be together in union. And so it's not the jealousy that I would have. Why? Because my jealousy that I might have feeds me and my needs and what I want and what I am not getting and what I think I deserve. And it's very entitlement minded, right? But God's jealousy is never about um, grabbing something from somebody else and bringing it into himself. It's always about, again, inclusion and bringing everybody in as much as possible and knowing what's best for everyone. So God's jealousy is a righteous jealousy. And again, it's the type of jealousy we should have, right? Verse 16, if the portion of the dough, and he goes into, oh, I didn't finish, sorry. Verse 15, if their, if their rejection is the reconciliation of the world, and it is, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? Literally life from the dead because of the resurrection and also figuratively because we were dead in our trespasses and sins and then we're alive to new life in Jesus Christ. And when Israel is accepted, when Israel brings it together, when Israel comes in and that consummation is complete and everybody's in, it's literally life from the dead for everyone, right? Because that's like the big seal on time. I can't wait till we study Revelation together. We're going to really get into a lot more of this. And that'll be in a few years. So don't, don't like read it on your own before then. <laughs> don't wait. Verse 16. If the first portion of the dough offered is holy. So he goes into a couple of metaphors now. He's going to talk about this idea of dough. And he's also going to talk about the idea of this olive tree. And uh, so if the first portion of the dough offered is holy, then the whole batch is holy. And this idea of holy, if you want to underline that, that word holy there, is the idea of holy in, this, in the truest, kind of more literal sense of the word holy. And it means set apart. 
It means sanctified. And so the first offered is holy. Then the whole batch is holy. If the root is holy, set apart, then so too are the branches. Now, if some of the branches are broken off and you, a wild olive shoot, were grafted in among them and participated in the richness of the olive root, do not boast over the branches. So he moves in from this uh, visual imagery of the dough and uh, talks about the little portion that's offered. So just a little historical input on that part there. There to this day, religious Jews still offer a portion of the dough. And it was my hope, my body did not cooperate this week, but it was my hope to prepare for you a challah bread. I love making bread from scratch and enjoy that whole process so much. Maybe another time I'll bring some for you. But to this day, religious Jews on Shabbat still and high holy days will make their dough and pull off a portion of the dough and knead the rest into the hollow or whatever they're making out of it. But that little portion that they pull off, it's a little olive sized portion. They're very legalistic about it. There's whole rules like how, what the big, the size is. I'm not exaggerating. Very legalistic about what size a portion of dough is. It's hysterical actually. <laughs> You're adorable. <laughs> and they take that little portion and they burn it. They put it on the burner on their stove and they burn it. It's to mimic a sacrifice because that was the law. It, to take a portion of the dough and to burn it, that was part of what it was written into the Levitical law. And so to this day, there's no temple. They can't offer sacrifices. Temple was destroyed in 70 AD. There's no sac there's no temple. So there are no sacrifices taking place. So in, in Israel and in various parts of the world called the diaspora, uh, religious Jews pull off a little piece of the dough and literally put it on their burner and let the fire consume it. And then they bake the rest of their bread to this day. Just part of their little ceremony. Try it at home and pray and have that as a moment. And, uh, it's kind of special actually so they they still do that and if the root is holy so are the branches all right so he moves into this this idea of this the, the branches and the grafting in and this whole picture and i had to draw and good job on your drawings everyone <laughs> i saw a few of yours the video the camera here and some of you posted yours so that was kind of cool um but here's what's also another awesome god moment here because um uh if you watch the video on grafting I don't know, I put it in the YouTube on, in the playlist. Uh, if some of the branches are broken off, you, a wild olive shoot, were grafted in among them. Now, Paul, is, this letter of Paul is going to be read aloud. People are going to be listening and hearing him say this. As soon as he would get to that sentence, they would all go, wait, that's just not how it's done. Nobody does that. Some of the branches are broken off and you... Us Gentiles, a wild olive shoot, were grafted in among them, participated in the richness of the olive root, do not boast over the branches. Because why? Because they were cultivated, and you don't add something wild to something cultivated. All right. The wild stuff that you that's you're not gonna do that. You're not gonna bring it into the cultivated one. And even to this day, that's not how grafting is done. All right, you you bring in good quality in. And so reading this out loud, that they would have gone, hey, that's not how it's done. And then Paul's like, Yeah, I know because God's doing that. And this is the namesake of this entire Bible study. In case you didn't notice that on the front cover of your Bible study, you see an olive tree. The Bible study is called Romans, wild and redeemed, wild and redeemed, because that's who we are. We're the wild and we are the redeemed, right? Okay. Amen to that. Do not boast over the branches. If you boast, and so I love that he says this. So it's not like he's really saying if, like you're not gonna. He's saying it because you're totally gonna. Because <laughs> that's how we do it. We, we do it. Uh, so if you boast, because I know you will, uh, remember that you do not support the root, but the root supports you. Then you will say, 
the branches are broken off that I can be grafted in. <laughs> That's the boast, right? Granted, Paul says, they were broken off because of their unbelief. And here's where he gets to the uh-oh part. But you stand by faith. Do not be arrogant, but fear. So underline that. You stand by what? Always. It's always about faith. And this isn't standing like uh, the Ephesians 6 version of standing here. The idea here is you're in because of faith. It is faith that you are grafted in. Okay. It's not by works again. It's by faith. And so don't be arrogant, but be, what's the opposite of arrogant, by the way? Humble. Why did he say fear then? Because fear is the root of humility. He's really going to the root of the word there. Don't be arrogant, but be humble, you would think. But no, he says fear. Why? Because you are humble because you fear God. Not in the, oh my gosh, he's going to smite me. Although he could. It's We have awe and reverence of God. It's that kind of fear. Don't be arrogant. Arrogant, in other words, know God, right? Get it about who he is, but fear. And so again, this is all what Romans chapters 1 through 8, 9 and 10, 11, of course, has set us up for. Know who God is. And, and that should cure you of any arrogance, right? For if God did not swear the natural branches, perhaps he will not spare you. All right. So this is, again, an uh-oh, scary verse. Like, wait, I'm not going to be scared, uh, spared? Yeah, no, you're not. You could get cut off, too. And so a lot of people read that and say, well, I could lose my salvation. And to that, I say, where'd you, where did you, how did you jump to that? That is not what this, this has nothing to do with anything in this passage at all is talking about. If God did not spare the natural branches, what did he do with them? Cut them off and they're just laying there. We can cut you off too. And you just lay there. You're not going to be nourished by the, you're not going to be getting the blessings. You're not going to be up in front of that. It has nothing to do with losing your salvation. Please take the entire counsel of God's word to understand that. And, uh, I, I have a pretty strong position on the fact that you, if you are saved, you're, you're saved because you had nothing to do with your salvation. Therefore you cannot have anything to do with losing it. Did you earn your salvation? Did your works provide you salvation? No. So then your lack of works or your lack of earning isn't going to move your salvation away from you. You're not going to lose that. See, this is a really good scare tactic that moms use with their kids. I brought you into this world. I'll take you out. We're good at that. That's how our brain works. What's that all about right now? Cancel culture. That's what it's all about. That's how our brains work. You don't deserve it anymore. Cut you off. Out. And so we read a verse like this and we all automatically go to God's going to yank you out. You're not going in anymore. Now, this isn't we're not going to even address the issue of, well, we, were you really saved to begin with? And did that really take back then? And did you manifest the Holy Spirit? <laughs> we're not going to do any of that, but we are going to take it with what the word says. And we're not going to read too much into it. We are going to say, if God did not spare the natural branches, perhaps he will not spare you. So let's go back to the verse prior to that. Don't be arrogant, but fear. Be humble. Fear God. He could. You know, please understand that the Bible is full of legal language. For example, precedent has been set. That's a legal, that's a legal language, right? Precedent, therefore, has been set for the ground to open up and swallow you for complaining. That's what that happened back in the Exodus, if you read that passage. So the precedent is set. And could God do it? Sure. Could God, you know, do anything? Of course. But let's take things in context of scripture. 
because look what he moves into next. Perhaps he will not spare you. Notice, therefore, the kindness and harshness of God. Harshness toward those who have fallen. Why? Because he's a good father. He disciplines those he loves. Harshness towards those who have fallen, but God's kindness towards you, provided you continue in his kindness. Why wouldn't you? Because you're a knucklehead. That's why. You're a knucklehead. You're selfish. I'm selfish. You want people canceled. You, 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 know, you, you have little tolerance for this stuff. We're just not as kind as God is, it turns out. But God's kindness towards you, why? Because originally, what did God's kindness do? Lead you to repentance, okay? And even they, oh, otherwise, this big, huge semicolon there. Otherwise, you will also be cut off. And of course, again, that is that reiteration and that scary idea of what's the possibility, could I be cut off? And yes, you could. Um, but that is not what this verse uh, salvationally is talking about. Uh, it's a different type of cutoff. Verse 23, even they, if they do not continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in, for God is able to graft them in again. And so again, this, if you have to visualize this, this makes it really silly then to be about salvation. Oh, you're in. Oh, you're out. Oh, you're out. Oh, you're in. Oh, you're out. If you die, and right before you die, you were in the middle of a sin, naughty. Oh, you're probably out. That's why the Catholic religion has lost rights. You've got to get in there and get a priest in there at the very last minute to make sure you're all prayed up. And even after that, you die, you're going to purgatory, you got to work it all off, make sure you really work hard in there. Or have people out here praying for you. Mormons and Catholics will do that. For if, if, verse 24, if you were cut off from what is by nature a wild olive tree and grafted in, this is Paul's nod to the fact that it's not normal to do that, a contrary to nature, into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these natural branches be grafted into their own olive tree? You see, can a wild olive tree produce olives? Absolutely. That's why we, we saw it and went, oh, I want more of those. So we cultivated it and we figured out how to do what? Get it to produce more. Train it so it, 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 it produces a lot, right? Put it in rows with a bunch of others and we get all the pollination and they really blossom more, right? And we get all the different variations and we like this quality of this one. So we graft it in so it makes even more, right? That's this idea here. Sure, wild olive trees can produce good fruit. Atheists do good deeds. People in false religions are producing great things. That's the, that's, that's the issue when we make it so much about like, if you're not in the faith and you must be an evil, rotten, horrible person. Turns out, even if you're in the faith, you're an evil, rotten, horrible person, Jeremiah heart simply wicked who can understand it so we can't make it about us and them it turns out it's all us <laughs> we're all knuckleheads we all need jesus okay so we're all wild and we all need to be redeemed and this goes back to also abram because think about it when god picked abram was it because abram was already a christian <laughs> abram was a pagan <laughs> he was a pagan they were all pagan all of them. God chose Abram because he foreknew him. And here's what I love about where he chose him. Think about where Abram was when God chose him. Was Abram already in what we call today Israel? No. He was up and over and around in a far off land, right? And so Abram had to move toward the promised land in order to get the promises, right? 
And so <laughs> that's what the whole idea of wild and redeem is. God did the same thing to Abram. He was wild and he was redeemed, but he had to go and, and be part of God's cultivating process. All right, verse 25. For I do not want you to be ignorant of this mystery. Boy, I love this whole theme on mystery. I could We could do an entire Bible study just on this idea of mystery in the Bible. You want to write a couple notes to yourself to look up more. You can look up 1 Corinthians 2, 7 through 10, where Paul talks about, instead we speak of the wisdom of God hidden in mystery that God determined before the ages. And, and uh, in Ephesians, of course, Paul talks about, uh, I believe in chapter 2 and 3 also, and 1, oh, well, whatever. Read Ephesians. Go to the Ephesians Bible study. It's on my YouTube channel. <laughs> and so you can get that one as well. All right. So that... You may not be conceited. A partial hardening has happened to Israel until the full number of Gentiles has come in. Talk about mystery. Underline that with a squiggly underline. What the heck does that mean? When's that going to happen? I, I don't know. Don't, I, that's not what I'm going to answer tonight. Uh, until the full number of Gentiles has come in, we don't know that. Don't listen to anybody who says they do. Don't listen to the dates and the times and all that kind of stuff that people love to do. It's fun. It's fascinating, but it's a it's it's silly and uh, we need to not be doing that there will be a time just like in the fullness of time christ came and just like in the fullness of time christ died in the fullness of time the gentile number will be fulfilled and there is a fullness of gentiles we don't know when that's going to be could be tomorrow hope you prayed up just kidding <laughs> and verse 26 and so all israel will be saved but will they though is that what that means are they all going to be saved, every last one of them, every single Jew? So there's a variety of different approaches to this concept and how to interpret it. Some believe that every single Jew that was ever born, ever, ever, any member of Israel ever since Abraham forward will be saved miraculously through God. That's, a, that's an idea. Some some teach and believe this means all Israel will, will be saved, means that every Israel Israelite from the time Jesus died and was resurrected and, and believe from that point forward, any Israelite, they're, they're in that. And so I won't belabor that point, but I will just say this, all does mean all in the same way, all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. What do you got to do to be saved? It isn't magically transmogrified because you've got Jewish DNA, right? All will be saved in the same way any of us are saved. We got to call upon the name of the Lord, confess the name of Jesus Christ. And, and and we didn't belabor on confessing the name of Jesus Christ too much for just a point. Uh, that doesn't actually literally mean I, I have to say the words and sound the syllables J-E-S-U-S -S, in English. Just that's a concern. And that actually has come up. People have actually said that. Yeah, you do. You got to say it in the King James to really make it stick too. And so all Israel will be saved as it is written. I'm joking. If you don't write that down, I'm like, geez, so you had to say it in the King James. <laughs> Don't tweet that. And so the deliverer will come out of Zion. He will remove ungodliness from Jacob, which is another word for the nation of Israel, Jacob. And this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. What's my covenant with them? That the deliverer will come out of Zion, that he will remove ungodliness from Jacob. And the covenant is an unconditional covenant that he made back to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12. Excited for next year already because we are going to be studying through Genesis next year. Verse 28. In regard to the gospel, they are enemies for your sake. But in regard to election, they are dearly loved for the sake of the fathers. For the gifts and the call of God are irrevocable. There's a beautiful reminder of who God is. The gifts and the call of God are irrevocable. If God gifts it, if God calls it, it's done. It's settled. 
Okay, just as you who were formerly disobedient to God, but have now received mercy due to their disobedience, so that they too have been disobedient in order that by the mercy shown to you, they too may now receive mercy. For God has consigned all people to disobedience so that they he may show mercy to them all. And this is one of those trip me up verses as well. Has God consigned all people to disobedience? So we're stuck? Well, isn't that convenient that he provided the solution for the thing that he put us in this position? All we can do is disobey and then he comes along and saves the day? That seems a little self-serving, right? Is that what that means? No, it means, the, it, back to Romans 1, the entire world is consigned to disobedience in a sense. We're all groaning under the weight of sin. The solution is God, right? And he wants to show mercy to them all. And so this is this is part of the reality of what we live in, that we are consigned to disobedience. We're living under this broken, fallen, sinful, disobedient world where even nature itself isn't cooperating with God's righteousness and right, righteous plan. And it's, it's groaning under the weight of that. Why? Because God's going to show us mercy there. So Paul teaches everything he's been teaching from chapter one all the way through to this point in chapter 11 all the theology all the truth about god all the truth about me all the truth about israel helping us really get it and understand it and at this point in verse 33 he does what all people should do in light of finding out the truth of who god is break out in praise verse 33 oh the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of god how unsearchable are his judgments, how unfathomable, maybe your translation says untraceable his ways, untraceable. I can't even, I can't even trace them out in the sky, right? I can't even, I can't even follow the whole path, right? It's so much. And he asks again, these beautiful rhetorical questions for who has known the mind of the Lord? No one who has been his counselor. No one for who has given to God that God needs to repay him. No one. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Ladies, I want us to be worshipful women. I want us to come to church on Sunday and, and anticipate that our worship leaders are going to lead us in truth through worship. Because when we come to church or we're in our own worship time and we're just listening to light, Christian light music that isn't based on truth and it's just, you know, you could sing it, change the name to your boyfriend and it would still work. This isn't rooted in truth, ladies. I want us to be women who expect and ask our churches, wherever you're fellowshipping, we have different fellowships here, wherever you're fellowshipping, that our churches would have a high regard for God's truth first. And then that naturally erupts in beautiful worship. But when we have a light view of God, when we don't grasp his great grace, when we're un unsure about what his true love means, when we don't really get what mercy means, how much we would have deserved to have gotten, how much we were relieved from, then our worship is emotional and it's about us and it's not really about God. Expect your worship leader to affirm God and to draw you to the throne room of God and place you there because it should always be erupting worship out of truth. Amen?
Amen. Let's thank God for his word right now and, and close our time together. Father God, you are good. You've given us a lot and we could never, ever, ever pay, repay. And we'll spend a lifetime um, just glorying in you and your grace and your amazing love for each and every one of us. Thank you for the power of your word and help us to continue to grow in that and dwell in it richly. In Jesus' name, everyone said, hallelujah, amen. All right. 